Now, what I'm about to share with you this morning is a true story. All of the characters are real. The fight in which they were engaged was real. The impact on our lives is real. Jesus, filled by the Holy Spirit, entered the wilderness to begin his battle with Satan. And like any good reporter, it's my job to share with you the who, what, when, where, and why. So here's the truth of the who. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. So we have Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and the devil. Now, a Barna survey recently studied uh, a bunch of people who were self-proclaimed Christians, uh, just under 2,000 of them, and asked them questions about their thoughts and beliefs about God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and Satan. Of those almost 2,000 self-described Christians, 6 out of 10, 60%, way over half, believe that Satan is not a real being, but just a concept for us to understand evil. Now, I'd like to think that maybe here at St. Luke's, the number would be a little bit lower than 60%. But the enemy is real. The devil is real, and his name is Satan. Now, even if you had to, to have what, is, what most people today have is this modern, secular view of evil, that, that you can take all of the evil in the world and explain it away by psychology or sociology. But the reality is that if, if you had all of the money in the world, if you had all of the right education, if you had the right social environment, if you had the right everything, there would still be a lot wrong in your life. Right? There's still problems like addiction and depression and problems like cancer and sickness and death. Well, the reason why evil is in the world is quite simple. Because there is a very real evil being at work in our lives. Satan is very real. Now, the Bible points to a lot of evidence that Satan is the fallen angel, Lucifer, who uh, rebelled against God, wanted to be like God, wanted to be better than God. And so combined with one-third of all of the angels in heaven, fought against and rebelled the Father and, and lost. Satan... And his title, the devil, means the adversary, the slanderer, the father of lies. And Satan can do only three things. He can only steal, kill, and destroy. He promises the world, but can only kill, steal, and destroy. So that's the truth of who. And let me get into the truth of what. What is really happening in this scene we have this temptation that's happening. That's happening continually for 40 days. It's not as if Jesus took a break from eating for 40 days and then Satan came and started tempting him. No, Satan has been tempting him continually through these 40 days. And the three temptations that we have depicted here are the three final ones before Satan packs his bags and goes home. So the first one, the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. See, Satan loves to prey on our weaknesses. He knows Jesus has not eaten anything for 40 days and is starving. He is hungry, and so he goes to where he believes Jesus is the weakest. And he does the same in our lives. Where are we hungry? What 
hungers do we have? Whenever I think of, of hungering, I think of self-medication, of turning to things when you, are, when you are sad or hurting or broken or sorrowful, turning to things that make you feel better, whatever that case may be, whether it's sex or drugs or alcohol or spending or gambling or eating, to feel better. And you see, if you boil all that down, it's really a first commandment issue. So whenever we, we turn to something to make us feel better instead of God, it's idolatry. You see, God is the one who wants to be the person that we turn to whenever we're hurting or sorrowful. God wants to be the one that we turn to when we're exuberant and celebrating and joyful. He wants to be the one. But when we turn to anything else, even potentially good things, instead of him, it's idolatry. You see, Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. And that maybe conjures up in your mind the scene from the Exodus. And Moses writes this in Deuteronomy, and he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. See, Jesus' summary conquers this temptation by just a simple concept of trust. Trusts in the Father to provide his daily bread. Second, the devil took him and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you I will give all their authority, all their glory, for it has been delivered to me and I will give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Now this temptation is, a, is actually the temptation to avoid the cross for Jesus. See, Satan was saying, I know you love humanity. It is your love of humanity that I want to give to you. You can avoid the cross. You can avoid the suffering. You can avoid the pain. You can fast track it all. Just worship me, and it's yours. See, Satan was saying, if you love these people and want to rescue them from me, I'll surrender it over to you if you just worship me. And I think we can all relate, at least I can, with that desire to solve problems quickly, easily. You know, take the right pill, have the right fast pass, be able to get through the problems in an instant. What's the fastest, easiest way to feel better? And Jesus answered, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. This gets back to Deuteronomy chapter 6. When Moses writes, it is the Lord your God you shall fear, him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the people who are around you, for the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God. And here comes the third and final temptation. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Do you see what Satan does in this moment? He's been taking notes that Jesus defends every temptation with something that is in Scripture. So Satan takes something that's in Scripture and twists it just enough to be wrong. And then uses that in his own temptation of Christ. The temptation is to force God to prove his faithfulness. 
And Jesus' response is, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Which goes back to Moses writing in, in, in Deuteronomy, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at Massa. And what happened at Massa was, this was the moment when Israel is being led by Moses into the wilderness. They're starving, they're thirsty, they're grumbling against God and against Moses. And God tells Moses to strike the stone and water comes out of the stone. Putting God to the test. We put God to the test all the time. Every time we take credit for something good that happens in our lives, we put God to the test. Every time we point to something or someone that goes wrong in our lives and blame God for that, we put God to the test. Now here's the point of of all of these temptations. This scene that's unfolding is a fight for your soul. See, this temptation had to occur at this moment, at the beginning of Jesus' entire mission and ministry. Because vying for your soul are two supernatural kingdoms, the kingdom of Satan and the kingdom of God. Now, the devil, was, he was resolved and set his face towards stopping Jesus in his tracks before his ministry could even begin. You see, he had conquered the first Adam already in the fall. And here Jesus stands as the new Adam, all of humanity, boiled down to one person, that if he can just get Jesus to stumble, then his sacrifice would be in vain. And the world would remain his own in Satan's grasp. You see, there is a line that goes through the center of virtually every decision that we make. To honor and pursue and glorify the kingdom of the enemy or honor and pursue and become like the kingdom of God. These two kingdoms are competing daily for our hearts, for our time, for our attention. Now, when you walk into a room, like you walked into this room, there's two ways that you can do that. You can walk into the room, and maybe some of you did today, you walk into this room thinking, what can I get out of it? What's here for me? And if that's the question, and maybe it's true, but if that's the question, then then my fear is that you're pursuing the kingdom of the enemy. Because someone who pursues the kingdom of God to become more Christ-like enters into a room not looking what they can receive from it, but what they can pour into it. How can I connect with somebody today that's hurting that that I can share encouragement with? How can I just praise my God and be an example to my family of how to worship well? How can you pour into instead of siphon away from? And when you're looking to sacrificially pour into, you're pursuing the kingdom of God. You are following after Jesus' footsteps. You are becoming more and more like your Savior. Every down, right down the center of every single choice, right down the center of every human soul, is a decision for whom you will follow. Every time you take the easier choice to, to, to hang on to the grudge, to keep your frustration, to nurture your, your self-pity, every time you take the easier, more selfish choice, you're moving more and more towards the kingdom of the enemy. And every time you, you do the opposite, you're intentionally pursuing the kingdom of God. This is the truth of what is happening in this moment. Now, the when and the where, those are pretty quick and easy, so let's just hit them quick. 
the when, this is right after Jesus has been baptized, filled up with the Holy Spirit, sent out into the wilderness before his ministry began. It happened for 40 days. Now, the number 40 is, is really interesting in all of Scripture. It weaves through all of the Bible, and, and it's, you just get into a little numerology real quickly. The number four has to do with the four points of the world, the four corners of the globe. It means all of humanity. The number 10 is a number of fulfillment, of completion, of fullness. And so when, when we ever hear the number 40, we're talking about some event that has to do with absolutely every person in the world, in history, for this full amount of time of preparation or getting ready. And we see it happening in things like the 40 days and the 40 nights that happened during the flood, or the 40 days that the spies entered into the promised land before before they knew anything about what this new land looked like. The 40 years that, that Israel wandered around stumbling in the wilderness. The 40 days that happened after the resurrection that Jesus appeared to his fellow disciples before rising. That's the when and the where. Even more easily, it's the wilderness. Right? And the wilderness conjures up the whole Exodus story that Jesus in this story, invites us into an exodus of our own, not out of slavery from a country, but slavery from sin, and through the, the struggle of the wilderness shaping and refining who we are as followers of Christ, and then through the waters of our baptism into the promised land, the kingdom of God, the world put right. That's the where. And now let me dig into the why, and the why is, is the critical component to this message. If you've listened to nothing else, now would be a good time to tune in. Because the why is the reason for everything else. The why is critically important. Luther would say, the why is the answer to what does this mean. Tig would say, it's the answer to the so what. The why. It's the life application piece. Jesus gives us the most amazing, the absolute perfect example of how to face temptation. How to resist and how to be victorious. Now, in our baptisms, just like Jesus was, we are filled up to overflowing, totally saturated with the Holy Spirit of God. To be full of the Holy Spirit is to be fully equipped to face whatever is facing us in the wilderness. Filled with the Holy Spirit, Jesus had all that he needed in this fight. And we do well to remember that as we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we are empowered with everything we need for the fight that we face every single day. Now, I love what Paul writes to the church in Corinth. He says this, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you bear. Side note, for those of you who quote scripture saying God will not give you anything more than you can handle, not in the Bible, it's misquoted from here. Sorry, sometimes God allows us to experience much more than we can handle. And we break. And in that brokenness, he brings healing. Okay, sidebar over. Back to this. Sorry for all of these. I just really bummed out there. Here's what it actually says. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. That means something totally different, doesn't it? Satan loves to instill doubt. Just plant seeds of doubt everywhere in our lives. And Satan loves that wonderful question, did God really say? 
and it makes you question and wonder. Many things cause us to doubt. Uncertainty, just not knowing the future, causes people to doubt. When somebody challenges your identity, who you are, and you start to believe what they say, it causes doubt. When you ask that classic question that many of us, if not all of us, have at one point or another, and you ask that, am I good enough? When inconsistency in your life, that routine gets disrupted, and you feel out of control, and you doubt. Or you have this fear of failure that keeps you from even trying in the first place. We give in to that doubt. But you see, Jesus is the key to surviving and triumphing over these tests and tribulations and temptations. Jesus gives us the key. And the key is to rely on the word of God. Right? Notice this, that Satan doesn't first go to Jesus and say, worship me. No, instead he takes something good. This is how Satan works. He takes something good. He says, take all of the kingdoms of all of history, which I know you are here for anyways. I will give them all to you if you just worship me. You see, here's the trick. Sometimes, sometimes Satan uses good things in our lives as his tools to bring disruption into our lives. You see, if anything becomes so important to your life, that it becomes so important to your identity, so important to your happiness, so important to your self-worth and value, so important that if, if, if that is threatened, you're paralyzed in fear, then you've put that thing, whatever it is, as an idol above God. I've done it in my life. In the season where I was removed from ministry before I was into a life of recovery, I lost my call. And so much of my identity was wrapped up in being a pastor. All of my value, all of my joy, all of my meaning and purpose was purely being a pastor. Not a son of God, but a pastor. And then when that title was removed from my life, I had no idea who I was or where my value was. Now, many people have perhaps had that experience if you've been fired from a job. You've maybe had that experience of feeling if you just simply retired from a long career and wonder where the value is, the meaning, the purpose. And the reason we feel that way is because we don't see Christ as our identity, but our title or our position or our vocation, and can take something so incredibly good and lift it up too high, something incredibly good becomes something incredibly evil. Jesus would say, don't let those things be your idols. Put me first. Put the Father first. And everything else will be just as it's supposed to be. See, this is Jesus' response to temptation. It's scripture. It's simple. The word of God is so incredibly powerful that with a word, Jesus stops Satan in his tracks. That's it. That's the example for us. Right? But there has to be more than just example because if that was the end of the message, then some people are going to go out of here going, yes, I'm filled up with the power of the Holy Spirit. I can follow Jesus' example. I'm going to have a rock star week. And then there's going to be a vast majority of everybody else who goes, shoot. I can't do that. 
I, I can't just spout scripture out of my mouth like Jesus can. Jesus was the word of God. He was so incredibly saturated with the word of God that he could recall everything perfectly, exactly. And we just aren't like that. So if we can't follow Jesus' example, then, then what hope do we have? Because I've been tested and I've been selfish. I've been tested and I've lied. I've been tested and I've failed. And I will continue to fail. So we have to have one more point. This account has to be about so much more than just Jesus being a great example. Because Satan was not trying to take away Jesus' ability to be our example. He was trying to steal Jesus' ability to be our Savior. Because only a perfect, unblemished lamb of God can go to the cross and take on the sins of the world. If Jesus would have messed up just one time, it would have completely nullified his whole purpose and mission. It was so incredibly important that Jesus withstand that temptation to be victorious over it, to start his victory with the enemy at the very beginning of his ministry. So that when we stand in the presence of our God, we, we make an appeal to him like we did this morning when we came to him in confession and we say, God, God, I have fallen so far short. I have given in to so many temptations. It's not even funny, but I ask that you count me as a winner. Not because I've won, but because Christ has won for me. In Christ's name, forgive me, wash me, make me new. In just a few moments as we come to the Lord's table, we get that exact opportunity to come to him. God, I am broken. Cover me with the sacrifice of your son, his body, his blood. Let it wash and renew me. Let it restore me back to life for all those times I've failed to resist temptation. Remind me of the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life to strengthen me. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, you are an amazing God that this, this event actually happened. It was real. The people involved with it were real. The impact on our life is real. Thank you so much for the example that you've given to us in Jesus Christ to be able to use your word to be victorious over the enemy and those times that we fail. Father, we praise you for sending Jesus to be our Savior, so much more than our example. We pray this in Jesus' powerful and holy name. Amen.